0: it is to be with you today. Is my mic on? There we go. Let me move this over here. It is, it is awesome, awesome to be here on such a great day, Father's Day. I love Father's Day. This is my third official Father's Day as an actual father. And I tell you, it gets better and better every year. Uh, it's just the greatest joy in life. Remember last night we laid down with my son and my wife has been teaching him how to pray and sing songs before he goes to bed. My mic is really popping. I don't know what it is. We'll figure it out later. Uh, and, and he looks up and he goes, pray, pray. And then she goes, all right, what do we say? And he goes, "Dear Jesus? And then we pray. And then he goes, amen. And I tell you, it is just thrilling to see it. I know it's, it's a little cute story that you have to be there to appreciate. But I appreciated it, and it was awesome. I had a wonderful Father's Day message all set and planned for today. And then I was talking to Pastor Denny, and he said, You know, why don't you share the story of the Dream Center in the heart about what God had did in Los Angeles. I I came with my pastor and our founder, Matthew Barnett, about 15, 16 years ago. He was 20 years old when God gave him the vision to start the Dream Center, and I was 19-year-old, his little sidekick tagging along, not knowing uh, what in the world we were going to do. I don't think he knew either. We just had a dream to love people and reach people and make a difference in the lives of people. And we took this journey to see what God could do through great dreams. And it, it has been an exciting part. Covey, it's good to see you today. I didn't know you were going to be here. You just met your dad before service. He's awesome. He can drum. tell so you, your music here is phenomenal. They are an amazing worship team. You guys rocked it. Love it. So I'm going to share this morning on dreams and how to have a great dream, how to build your life with a great dream. And I'm going to introduce one more person to you today. My beautiful wife is with me today. I mean, no, behind every great father is a great mother. And they make us great fathers as our wives. They give us so much wisdom and inspiration and encouragement. I have the best wife in all the world and the best looking wife. Uh, And all the men said, no, you don't. (laughs) I know. And this is my wife, Amanda. She's with us. You don't have to stand up. You can just wave. She hates it when I make her stand. You know how? When you travel, every preacher has to make their wife stand, and they absolutely hate it. They said, just leave me alone and let me enjoy the service like everyone else. So we'll do that. Genesis chapter 37 and verse 5. I want to talk about a young man in the Bible that if anyone in the Bible had a right to fail, had a right to give up, had a right to get discouraged, had a right to quit, had a right to backslide, had a right to say, God will understand if I just take this one off. It was Joseph. I mean, no one in the Bible went through more persecution, went through more trials, through his family, through situations, false accusations, imprisonments. If anyone in the Bible had a right to fail, it was Joseph. But yet Joseph kept persevering through every trial, through every circumstance, through everything he faced, through every challenge that came his way, he kept moving forward. Why? Five simple words. Genesis 37 and verse 5. Genesis 37 and verse 5. Now Joseph had a dream. Joseph had a dream. You see, it was the dream that kept him fighting through trials. It was the dream that kept him fighting through persecution. It was the dream that kept him fighting through every challenge that that came his way. It was a dream that was bigger than all of that that kept him going so he could finish his race strong. As the Apostle Paul said, I have kept the faith. I finished my course. I finished strong. Father, in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, this morning, God, I pray like Billy Graham used to pray. Let me hide behind the cross of Jesus Christ that these people, they may not see me and they may not hear me this morning, God, but they will see you and they'll hear from you. For it is your truth that has the power to set lives free, God. So let me preach your words this morning that our lives may become better, that we'll find the dream that you created us for in the name of Jesus Christ, amen. It's the dream. That kept him going. 1945 was an unbelievable year for young preachers. In the year 1945, three young evangelists began their ministry in their early 20s. Three evangelists that would literally go on to shake the entire world back in the 40s and the 50s. The first young man's name was Chuck Templeton. They said Chuck Templeton was the Babe Ruth of preachers. He was so dynamic. He was so gifted. He was one of the greatest theological minds of the day. He would preach to entire coliseums and auditoriums all over America, literally lighting on fire Christianity. The second young man who began his ministry in 1945 was a man by the name of Braun Clifford. Bron Clifford was tall and good-looking. He was dynamic. He was charismatic. He spoke one time at Baylor University and kept the entire student body on the edge of their seats for over two and a half hours as he preached on the cross. Bron Clifford was such a powerful speaker and so tall and good-looking that Hollywood offered, oftentimes offered him leading roles and major motion pictures, and he actually starred in the movie The Road. The third young man was the unlikely of the bunch. He wasn't the most gifted. He wasn't the most talented. In fact, the president of his Bible college told this young man that he was a failure and he would never make it in the ministry. You'll be surprised to know the third young man who began his ministry in 1945 was a man by the name of Billy Graham. Now, we all know the name Billy Graham. But how come so many of us have never heard the name Chuck Templeton? How come many of us have never heard the name Braun Clifford? Let me tell you their story. Five years after 1945, Chuck Templeton got on national radio and made a shocking announcement to the entire world that he no longer believed this book to be the inspired word of God, no longer to believe Jesus was the Son of God, turned his back on Christianity and announced he was an atheist. Five years later, the Babe Ruth of preaching wasn't even in the ballgame. Ten years after 1945, they found the body of Braun Clifford dead in a dirty hotel room in El Paso, Texas. He had left the ministry. He had left his wife. He had left his two beautiful daughters, became an alcoholic, and died in a dirty hotel room with nobody around. Ten years after 1945, two of the greatest preachers in the history of the world weren't even in the race, and we all know the story of Billy Graham. See, the fact this morning is it's not how well you begin the race that matters. It's not even how well you're running right now that matters. The only thing that matters in life is how are you going to finish your race. You see, they did some recent... Uh, surveys and research, and they discovered that one out of every 10 people who began serving their God in their 20s, only one out of 10 are still going strong, still passionate, still on fire for God by the time they get to their 60s. Only 10% of people they discovered truly finish their race strong. Nine people get discouraged. Nine people get bitter. Nine people backslide. Nine people lose their passion and their fire. So my question to you this morning is what are you doing differently than everyone else to make sure you're the one that finishes strong? Because the person that finishes strong, they're the exception to the rule because it's normal to get tired. It's normal to get bitter. It's normal to get discouraged. It's normal to backslide and quit and give up. It's normal to become lukewarm and complacent and lose your fire and lose your passion. So what are you doing differently this morning to ensure you're the person that finishes strong? You see, I've studied great men and great women throughout history and throughout the Bible, great leaders of the faith. And I've discovered one common denominator between the people who finish strong and the people who fall out of the race early. Because they come from different backgrounds, they go through different trials, they see different persecutions, but there's one main difference Between those who finish strong and those who fall out of the race early. And it's simply this those that finish strong, the men and women who finish their race, they all have a dream of the finish line. They have a dream of the finish line. You see, the dream is what keeps you fighting through trials. The dream is what keeps you fighting through persecution. The dream is what keeps you moving forward. When the entire world seems to be falling apart around you, it's the dream that keeps you on course. Proverbs says, without a vision or without a dream, the people perish. You see, the dream gives you direction. The dream gives you energy. The dream gives you strength. The dream gives you passion to finish your course. You've got to have a dream in your life. And I want to share a couple things about the dream this morning. If you're going to have a dream to finish your race strong, the first thing you need to test on your dream to find out whether or not your dream is a God and whether or not your dream is going to help you finish strong is ask yourself the question, is the dream bigger than you? Is the dream bigger than you? You see, you need a dream that is so big, it is absolutely impossible for you to accomplish on your own. And that's how you make sure God gets the glory for your life. You see, if you could do it on your own, you don't need God's help. If you can do it all by yourself, then how can God get the glory for your life? See, I want to live a life that it takes God to pull off. I want to have a dream that is so big, never in a million years could I ever be smart enough or gifted enough or able enough to accomplish it. I want a dream that takes God to pull off. What kind of dream do you have in your life right now? Is the dream bigger than your ability? Is the dream impossible for your natural circumstances? That's how you test and see whether or not your dream is of God. How big is your dream? See, when we first came to Los Angeles over 15 years ago, our senior pastor was 20 years old. I was the associate pastor. I was 19. We came into a little church of 39 people where the senior pastor before was 80 years old. The church went from an 80-year-old pastor to a 20-year-old pastor. The oldest pastor in America to the youngest pastor in America. And in three short months, we grew that church from 39 people all the way up to seven people. (laughs) It wasn't church growth. It was church reduction. We could teach you how to destroy a church in 90 quick days. I mean, step one, move the organ from one side of the stage to the other side of the stage. We literally lost half of the people of the church when we moved the organ. They didn't know what to do with these young kids and these young preachers. They, they had no clue. So we began to reach out to the only type of people we could get to come to church. We would reach the homeless. We would bring in homeless people every single week. Yeah, we had to feed them lunch afterwards, but you had to do something to get them there. People all the time would accuse us, well, you're only bribing people to come to church. Well, you're absolutely right. It's exactly what we were doing. Look, if Jesus is going to give away fish sandwiches to keep people in Sunday school... Then peanut butter and jelly it was for us. Whatever worked, worked. we did what we had to do to get people in church. And we began to realize, how many of you understand it's hard to listen to the gospel when you're hungry? When you don't have a place to sleep at night, you don't have enough food to wear, you don't have enough. uh, uh, It's hard to listen to the gospel and and truly effectively change your life. We realized that giving people God one hour a week wasn't going to help them the rest of the week. Unless we really did something to change their life on a daily basis. So we began to look throughout the city of Los Angeles. And we found an old hospital complex. It was, can, can I just grab the handheld mic somewhere? This thing is driving me crazy. I'm sure it's driving you crazy too. It's right here? Does this one work? All right, let's, uh, let's just turn this off. Let me see, can you hear me? Sorry, check. There we go. Much better, much better. So we found this old hospital complex in the middle of the inner city of Los Angeles. It was nine separate buildings. The largest building was 15 stories tall, over 400,000 square feet indoors. And we thought it doesn't have an auditorium, but it's the perfect facility to build the type of church that God put in our heart, a -a 24-hour-a-day, seven-day-a-week church that never sleeps. So we went to meet with the owners. It was owned by a group of Catholic nuns, and they were asking $16 million. And we sat down with them, and we shared our vision. We said, we like to buy this hospital. They said, wonderful. It's $16 million. Now, we had a 21-year-old senior pastor, a 20-year-old associate pastor, $10,000 in the bank, and 100 homeless people that called our church home. They threw us out of the office laughing. They said, forget about it. Give up. Do something else. We love your dream, boys, but it's impossible. So we left discouraged. But we had a dream that was bigger than our discouragement. So we kept praying. We kept believing God. We kept seeking God. We went back a few months later. We said, listen, we want to buy this hospital. They said, wonderful. We'll knock it down. We'll give it to you for $6 million. Well, again, we only had 10000 I mean, Hollywood offered them $10 million to turn it into a film studio just to to film movies in this old abandoned hospital. They threw us out of the office. They said, forget it. You, You can't do this. It's too big for you. We left discouraged. But we had a dream that was bigger than our discouragement. So we kept praying. We kept believing God. We went back down. We said, listen, we want this hospital. I said, okay, we don't know why we're gonna do this, but this is what we'll do. If you can give us $500,000 in 30 days, we'll let you move in and we'll give you 18 months to raise an additional $3.4 million, getting the entire complex for under $4 million. Well, we didn't have $500,000, but we did have 30 days, so we thought this must be God. We'll take it. Not knowing how in the world we would come up with the down payment. We just began to pray, believe God. We began to share our dream with people all over America. People began to send us the money to make the down payment. And within 30 days, we raised $500,000 to make the down payment. Now, you know, we joke with people all the time. Some people believe in miracles. We depend on them. I mean, the fact is, if we don't get a miracle, we don't make it through the week. So our philosophy is this, money follows ministry. If you wait till you have the money, it's too late for you. You begin serving people. You begin loving people. You begin reaching people. And when God sees that you're faithful, he'll bring the finances to follow. So we began to reach out to every type of person we could find, the drug addicts, the homeless, the prostitutes, the street kids, the gang members. Before we knew it, we had a couple hundred people living in our building that we had rescued from the streets of Los Angeles. We were still short. It was getting close to the last month, and we still needed $2 million to to finish the payments. We had a guy that that he was out of our church in Phoenix, Arizona, the church that planted us in Los Angeles. And he told our pastor, very wealthy guy, told our pastor, if you go to Los Angeles, I'll leave the church and I'll take my tithe with me. He goes, I don't believe in Los Angeles. I think God wants to destroy Los Angeles. That's the reason for our high taxes all over America. It's all because a Los- he hated Los Angeles. He was a negative old guy. And pastor said, well, you know, if you have to leave the church, you have to leave the church, but we're gonna do what God's put in our heart. So he went to L.A., Last month, he calls us and said, I want to come visit what you're doing in Los Angeles. We didn't want him to come to Los Angeles. I mean, he was the grumpiest, most critical, I mean, negative person you've ever met. He said, I wanted to come visit. We didn't want him to come, but he finally said, I'm coming. So he said, Fine. So he came, we took him on the tour of the place. He heard the testimonies of the the little girls that have been rescued from prostitution and drugs and a life of sin and a life of crime. He he heard all the stories of the different people and saw the lives that are changing. And he goes, I wanna take you guys to dinner tonight. So he sat down with him at dinner and he began to cry and he began to weep. He said, Pastor, please forgive me. I should have never stopped you from going to Los Angeles. We said, listen, it's, it's not a big deal. We forgive you. He said, no, please forgive me. You've got to forgive me. I should have never stood in the way of what God wanted to do. We said, listen, we love you, brother. You're forgiven. You're he said, no, please forgive me. And he pulled out his checkbook and he wrote a check for a million dollars. We said, you are forgiven in the name of the father and the son and sprinkle holy water on them. He said, my son has as much money as me. He wants to meet with you next week. We said, how about tomorrow? (laughs) His son came out the next week. His son wrote a check for a million dollars. And the last $2 million we needed to purchase that facility debt-free to the glory of God. And the amazing thing is, that's right, the amazing thing is you can't blame us. It was bigger than us. It was impossible for us. We should have never been able to pull something like that off unless God did a miracle. How big is your dream? What limitations have you placed on your life? What what, Have you put your dream in a box because of your circumstances? Well, God, look at my circumstances. Look at the situation I'm in. How can I dream right now? Look at where you've placed me, God. Take the limits off of your dream. The Bible says the power that raised Christ Jesus from the dead is alive at work in you. If the power that raised Christ from the dead is alive and at work in you, guess what? You can do anything. The reality is in life, there's only two limitations that we struggle with. And they're not the limitations of the color that you were born. They're not the limitations of your last name. They're not the limitations of the money you have in your bank account. They're not the the limitations of your education. They're not the limitations that your teachers put on you as children, your, some of you even your parents put on you. The only limitations that God has placed on you is Ephesians 3.20. He says, Now to him who is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, above all that you ask, number one, in even what you think. See, the only limitations you have as believers in Christ are what are you asking and what are you dreaming. That's it. God says that's the only thing that limits you. What are you asking? What are you praying for? What are you believing God for? And number two, what are you imagining? What are you thinking? Because God's saying, I'm able to do above all of that. I can do more than what you're asking, more than what you're praying for, and I can do more than even what you're imagining. Get a dream that's bigger than yourself. Number two, does it build the kingdom? Does your dream build the kingdom? Now, don't misunderstand me. I'm not talking about being in the ministry. I'm not saying that you need to quit your job and go work at a church. That's not about a dream building the kingdom. I'm talking about what is your dream building? Is it building selfish motivation or is it building kingdom purposes? Because for some of you, your ministry is your career. Your calling and your anointing, what God has ordained you to do, is your business and it is your career and your dream for that business and your dream for that career. The question is, are you doing it for yourself or are you doing it for the kingdom? See, Revelation chapter 1 says we're a nation of kings and priests. And the sad thing about the body of Christ today is we've made most people in our churches feel that if you want to live a life that God approves of, you need to be in the ministry. When the reality is, the Bible says, I've called you to be kings and priests. Some of you are called to work in the body of Christ, but most of you are called to be kings. That is your calling. Kings are people in the marketplace. Kings are those of you with businesses or careers or, or anything outside of being paid by a church. Then you are a king, and that is a high calling in the body of Christ. And the Bible says kings are called. You, you are commanded to multiply wealth, not for yourself, but for the kingdom. See, being a king is a huge honor. What are you building for? What does your dream revolve around? Are you simply trying to be successful so that you can live a better life? Or are you trying to be successful so that you can help advance the kingdom of God? What is the purpose for your career? What is the purpose for your business? What is the purpose for your dream? Does it build the kingdom? That's why we do what we do in Los Angeles. Everything we do doesn't revolve around, do we have enough money? It's all about, does it build the kingdom? Because if it builds the kingdom, then we're all about it. See, today we have over 600 people living at the Dream Center that we've rescued from drugs and alcohol, prostitution. We are just now opening 100 beds where we're partnering with the LAPD and FBI that when they do bus and they rescue these girls that are trapped in sex slavery, we provide all the long-term care and housing to help rehabilitate them, their medical needs, their mental health needs. We have teams that leave the Dream Center every Friday and Saturday night. We'll leave about midnight and go to the streets till 4, 5 o'clock in the morning sometimes trying to rescue the teenage prostitutes. See, what a lot of people don't realize is the teenage prostitution is not a choice. These little girls are literally kidnapped into a life of prostitution. They run away to Los Angeles. The pimps pick them up and literally force them into this life. We rescued a girl named Carla a few years ago. Who began to share her life story. As a 12-year-old girl, her parents didn't want her, and they threw her out on the street. She ran away to Hollywood thinking that she could become an actress or be a movie star. First weekend in Hollywood, she went to a party and met a guy. said, this place is dangerous. You'll get killed by yourself out here. She believed him, went to live with him. He got her hooked on all kinds of drugs, told this girl, if you want to keep doing drugs, you're going to sell your body on the street. She was scared of that. She says, I can't do that. So him and four of his friends beat her up and raped her for two weeks until this 12-year-old girl was so scared she did whatever they told her to do. When she was 15, her pimp got her pregnant and she had a little baby. That baby was the only thing in her life that made her feel like a human being, that gave her any type of self-worth or value. One night that child was crying and he got upset because she wasn't on the streets making money. And he took a gun and took the life of that baby in her arms. Did things to her so vicious she could never get pregnant again. We found this girl when she was 16 years old on the streets. That's why we had to have a dream center. The fact is for a girl like that, it's just not good enough to say Jesus loves you, God bless you. We'll have a prayer meeting for your needs. You've got to fight for him. You've got to rescue him. See, my pastor's taught me for years, I don't want anyone praying for me. That's not willing to fight for me. And the fact is, I'm not willing to pray for anybody I'm not willing to fight for. And sometimes it's a fight to rescue them. She was so scared. She had so much psychological fear in her life. She said, look, if I run away, if I I try to escape, he'll find me. He'll kill me. There's no way I can get away. So night after night, we were there. Finally, we pulled up one night in a white van. We told this girl, tomorrow night, you be on this corner. We'll pull up in the same van. You see our van. You jump in. We'll take off and you'll be safe. The following night she was there. She saw our van. She believed us. She jumped in. We took off to the Dream Center. A pimp saw us. He knew who we were. Began following us back to the Dream Center. But you know, living at the Dream Center, like I said, are a couple hundred of some of the biggest and the meanest and the ugliest people you've ever seen living in the place. See, when you preach at our church on Sunday morning, it looks more like the bar scene from Star Wars than it does a typical (laughs) church. I mean, you know, if I backslide, I may tell a lie. If some of those guys backslide, they may kill you. Some have only been in the program for a couple days. They're just looking for a reason to backslide. We had a hundred of these guys come out in front of the Dream Center. We pull up. The pimp pulls up. He sees a hundred, you know, of, of these guys with tattoos and ex-gang members, ex-drug dealers, ex-convicts, and that was just our pastoral staff. That wasn't even the regular people. He realized he wanted nothing to do it. I mean, don't you love church? It's so fun being in the body of Christ. <laughs> We, we, you know, just, just, just a, a story it has nothing to do with the message, but just a side story. You know, all of us preachers, we've got these stories. They have nothing to do with the message. They're just fun to tell. Will you guys allow me to tell one this morning? At our church, you know how people are crazy and they think they're Jesus? And we actually had one of those too. He, he, we had this guy up in the balcony one Sunday, and he was walking around. He had the white robe, the blue shaft, the long hair, the the beard. He was going around blessing the children. and. Our pastor, Tommy Barnett, saw him, and he goes up to the balcony. He goes, sir, who are you? And the guy looks at him, he goes, well, I'm Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the son of the living God. My pastor looked at him, he goes, well, have you ever seen the movie, The Passion of the Christ? He said, no, it brought back too many bad memories. (laughs) We had another crazy guy coming to church. That was our crazy Jesus. We had a crazy Ozzy. We had one guy come to church, thought he was Ozzie Osborne. And he would come in, the long black hair, white face, black lips, black eyes. He filed his teeth down into fangs because he thought he was a vampire. had all the weird gothic robes and jewelry. I mean, it was like some you know weird medieval Dracula vampire priest from the 1600s coming to church. And he'd walk in. Now, you can imagine a guy like this walking into most churches they would freak out. They wouldn't know what to do. He'd walk in our church, nobody even looked twice. I mean, the people in church were weirder than him. He got so frustrated that he couldn't make a scene. He kept coming week and week and week until he finally got saved. I remember when he first moved into the Dream Center, nobody wanted to be his roommate. And usually when nobody wanted to do something at the Dream Center, for some reason, it always became my job. So I became Ozzy's roommate at the Dream Center. I mean, I had a football helmet and garlic around my neck because I didn't want him to bite me at night. But I was Ozzy's roommate for a while, and he he was awesome. I love building the church. Does it build the kingdom of God? Is your dream centered around God's purposes and and God's kingdom, and is it advancing the kingdom of God? See, it doesn't matter if you're successful. You need to be successful if you're going to advance the kingdom of God. But what is the purpose behind your success? Are you selfishly motivated or do you have a kingdom mindset for the success and the dream that God has given you? And the last thing I want to share about the dream this morning is, are you willing to give your all for the dream? Are you willing to die for the dream? Are you willing to lay down your life and pay any price to see the dream that God has given you fulfilled? What price are you willing to pay? It's like the lady who is window shopping. She's walking down the street, and there in the shop window, she sees the most beautiful dress she's ever seen in her life. And man, she has a dream to have that dress. She can just imagine how good she'll look in that dress. She's got a dream. She goes into the store, she finds the shopkeeper, she said, listen. I want that dress. I got a dream to have that. That is the most beautiful dress in the shopkeeper. I don't think you want that dress. You don't understand. I have a dream. So he shows her the price tag. And she walks out of the store without the dress. Why? Because she had a dream? No, she she had the dream, but she wasn't willing to pay the price. What price are you willing to pay to accomplish your dream? I remember when we started the Dream Center, we didn't believe in... Uh, outreaches. We did takeovers. The fact is, I've never seen a gang do an outreach. Gangs don't show up, hand out a bunch of flyers. How many people want to join the gang? Raise your hand. See, when a gang shows up to a neighborhood, they're there for one reason, to take it over. So we decided we would do takeovers in our community. So Friday nights, 11 o'clock at night, when all the drive-bys and the craziness and the violence, I mean, we moved into one of the most dangerous neighborhoods in all of Los Angeles. So on Friday night, we'd get like 50 to 100 people, and we do prayer walks in the street in our community. See, we didn't believe in prayer meetings on you know, Saturday morning and the comfort of the sanctuary when the music is playing softly and the lights are dimmed low and the air conditioning is running perfectly. See, if you want to get people really in touch with God, bring them on a prayer walk in the middle of the inner city, in the middle of the night, in the middle of drive-bys. They will get in touch with God like you've never seen people connect to God. I mean, you'll never see people pray like they'll pray when they're walking through the dangerous ghettos of Los Angeles. They will pray like their life depended on it because guess what? It does. So we do these prayers. And you can imagine what it's like to be a gang member on Friday night. I mean, you've got, you've got your homies with you. You've got your weed, your liquor, your girls. You've got Snoop Dogg going on the radio. You're having a good time. And all of a sudden, 50 Christians show up at your party. And we're not there to fight. We're not tough guys, man. I will get killed in a street fight. So we're just there to love on them. We're just there to serve them. So we start picking up beer bottles in the front yard, start doing the dishes in the kitchen, start cleaning the bathrooms, just loving on all these gang members. We literally transform the community we're in through the power of love and the power of serving and the power of doing good. The mayor of Los Angeles said in the Rampart area of Los Angeles, the homicide dropped 73% as a result of the Dream Center's work in the community. See, revival is not how many people you pack into your church doors. Revival is how you impact the community around you. Does the drug rate go down? Does the divorce rate go down? Does child abuse go down? That determines whether or not you're impacting a community. See, we never physically took the gun out of a gang member's hand, but we love them to the point they lay down their guns. I remember one night, it was early when we first got there, and I was just this dumb, you know, idiot White boy from the small town of Texas, not knowing what I was doing in the ghetto or the streets. I didn't know what was real, what wasn't real. And I'm gung-ho for Christ, and everyone's tired. It's about 3 in the morning. They wanted to head back to the dreams. And I decided I'm just going to stay out here, and I'm going to win the whole world to Christ by myself if I had to. So here I am marching down the street in the middle of the night, and under the streetlight I saw one of the largest gang members I've ever seen in my life. This guy was huge. I mean, he had the shaved head, he had the tattoos, he had the wife beater uh, tank top on. I mean, it was like the cra- I mean, it was like something out of a movie screen. And, you know, growing up in a small town in Texas, we're all pretty friendly with each other, so I decided to walk up to this guy in the middle of the night. Howdy, how you doing? He took one look at me and said, you better get out of here before I kill you. And, you know, not really knowing what was real or what wasn't real, I decided to tell this guy, well, you can't kill me. Then when I saw his knife, I knew I was wrong. I knew he could very easily end me that night and has probably done it before. I realized if I don't think of something quick, I'm a goner. So I remember the Apostle Paul, and I looked at this guy, and I said, you can't kill me because I'm already dead. I died to Christ a long time ago. So the life you see now, it's not I, but it's Christ living in me. I thought it worked for Paul. Maybe it worked for me. Realized quickly, he'd never read that book before. <laughs> I'm thinking, if I don't have something to say, I am gone. I finally looked up at this gang member. I said, listen to me. You can't kill me because nobody has ever loved you as much as I love you. He said, what do you mean you love me? You don't know what my life is like. You don't know what I go through out here on the streets. How can you say you love me? I said, listen, how many people do you know who believe your threat is real? who believe you could very easily do the things you say you're going to do, but are still out here to show you there's another way to live. said, yeah, you may take my life tonight, but the fact is your life means more to me than my life does. And if I have to die to love you, then I will die to love you. And I remember watching this gang member break down and begin to cry right there on the street. He said they killed my brother a couple weeks ago. I had to shoot someone last week. He said, I got a two-year-old son. I don't want him growing up like this. And I remember watching the power of God begin to transform him right there. But you see, I had to be willing to give my all for the dream. What price are you willing to pay? What's holding you back this morning? See, some of you this morning, you're being held back for all sorts. Some of you, you're being held back because it's selfish reasons. You don't want to give your all because you're scared of what God's going to ask you. See, reality is God's not going to ask you to do something he doesn't put into your heart. See, I used to get scared, you know, to surrender my life completely to God because I thought he was going to send me to live in the mosquito nets in the jungles of Africa somewhere. So I always kept God at an arm's length because I was like, I don't want to. So God didn't send me to Africa. He sent me to the jungles of L.A. But he was with me, and he moved through our life. What's holding you back? Maybe it's failure. Maybe you made a mistake. Maybe it's circumstances. Something in life has held you back from surrendering your all for the dream. You see, one of the greatest tragedies in life will be the day you stand before God in heaven. And God shows you all the things you could have done if only you would have given your all. I'll close with this story. I was watching a movie a few years ago, a movie many of you have seen called The Schindler's List. And in this movie, it was about a German businessman who had buy the Jewish people from the Nazis, to spare their lives from the horrible, torturous death of the concentration camps, to save them from the Holocaust. This man had literally brought hundreds of these people and saved them, spared their lives from the Holocaust. And I remember watching the end of the movie, all of these people came to him to pay respects, to honor him, to praise him, to thank him. They came out to show their gratitude. They came out yelling, because you were willing to give, I'm alive today. You saved me. You saved my wife. You saved our our children, my family. You spared us because you were willing to give. We're alive. I remember watching this man at the end of the movie. He broke down and began to cry. He took a gold ring off of his finger. He said, do you see this ring? If I would have given this ring, one, maybe two more people could have been saved. He took a watch out of his pocket. This watch, three, four, maybe five more people could have been saved if I would have given this watch. He went over to his car. He fell down weeping and crying on the car. Ten, fifteen, twenty people could have been saved if I would have given this car. And he began to weep and he began to cry. If only I would have given my all. How many more people could have been saved? How many more lives could have been rescued? If only I didn't hold anything back. And I think this morning, how many more people could be saved? How many more people could be reached? How many more lives could be changed here in Carlsbad, in San Diego, in Southern California? through the mission work of this church all over the world. How many more lives could be changed if only we didn't hold anything back to build the dreams God gave us? To go after what God put in our heart. To not hold anything back. To surrender to the dream that He placed inside of us. How many more lives could be changed? What more could we accomplish if we didn't let anything hold us back? Would you bow your heads and close your eyes with me this morning? The worship team would come. Before I go any further, I want to pray for people's dreams this morning. But before I do that, I just want to ask if there's anyone in the building this morning that is not right with God. Every time I speak, I want to give people an opportunity to get right with God. I never want to miss a chance of people connecting with God. To me, that's the most important thing in my life is giving people a chance to connect with Christ. There may be someone in the building this morning that this is your first time ever in a church. You need to know today that God loves you. God loves you. God loves you so much that He allowed His very own Son, Jesus Christ, to die, to be the ultimate sacrifice so that you could be made right with Him. Or maybe there's some of you this morning that at one point in your life, you were right with God. At one point, you did have a relationship with God, but something happened. Maybe you failed. Maybe you sinned. Maybe somebody broke your heart. Maybe somebody hurt you. But for some reason or circumstance, you chose to walk away from God. You walked away. And the fact is, your heart's cold this morning. You don't know the condition of your soul anymore. You've been away from God for so long. This morning, God is saying, come back to me. God is saying, come back to me. It's not too late. You haven't gone too far. I'm right here waiting. See, this Father's Day, you have the ultimate Father who gave you the ultimate gift of His Son so that you could know a perfect Father and have a relationship with a perfect Father. If that's you this morning, you need to get right with God for any any reason whether it's the first time or whether it's coming back to him, would you just raise your hand with every eye closed so I can pray for you? Just raise your hand for me. Thank you. Thank you. Who else? Thank you. Thank you. Many of you raised your hand. I applaud you for raising your hand this morning. It's the greatest decision you'll ever make is to have a relationship with a perfect father, a father that will never fail you, a father that will never hurt you, Father, that will never reject you. Father, allowed His Son to die for you, to be a sacrifice so that you can know Him. But everyone in the church, repeat this prayer after me with those that raise their hand. And those of you that raise your hand, as you say this prayer out loud, confessing that Christ is Lord, believing in your heart, the Bible says you will be right with God. Everyone say this prayer with me to encourage those that raise their hand this morning. Say, dear God, I need a second chance. I failed you. I failed myself. And this morning, I ask for your forgiveness. You are my Savior, and I choose to make you my Lord. Thank you for being the greatest father we'll ever have. In the name of Jesus, amen. Those of you that raised your hand, please stop me after service and just say hi. I'd love to talk to you and pray with you a little bit more. And I want to go one step further before we close the service. There's people in different circumstances out here today. Number one, there's some of you that are living without a dream. Maybe you never had a dream. Maybe you were told from childhood that you're no good. You'll never amount to anything. And because of that, you've never had a dream. Or maybe your dream died. Maybe somebody hurt you. Maybe you failed. Maybe you made mistakes. Maybe it's just the economy. I know there's so many people in America right now who are going through terrible situations simply because of the economy. And and because of that, it's crushed their dreams. Well, the Holy Spirit this morning wants you to dream again. He wants to restore the dream inside of you. He wants you to dream again. And so many times, if you study Scripture people, great men and women of the Bible, they all had dreams and their dreams seemed to die. Their dreams seemed to be crushed, but they all dreamed again. And a lot of times, almost every time, their former dream or their latter dream was greater than their former dream. Some of you have a dream this morning, but you've limited your dream. You put your dream in a box for many different reasons. And this morning, the Holy Spirit is saying it's time to unleash your dream. It's, try, it's time to make that dream bigger than anything you thought possible. Some of you have a dream, but the dream has been for selfish motivation. And this morning, God wants you to surrender that dream for kingdom purposes. It doesn't necessarily mean he wants to change your dream. Some of you will keep the same dream, but your purpose for the dream will change. You'll still be doing the same thing. You'll still be going after the same things. But your reason will no longer be for selfish motivation. Your reason will be for kingdom purpose. And then there's some of you that simply need to be willing to give your all for the dream. Be willing to lay it all down. Be willing willing to surrender everything you have for that dream. If you're in any one of those situations, you need the Holy Spirit to touch your dream this morning. Or give you a dream this morning. Stand up and I want to pray with you. I'm not going to ask you to come forward this morning. But I'd just like to recognize everyone in one of those situations. Just stand with me. Just stand with me so I can pray. Those of you that raised your hand to to be right with God. Stand with the people standing for dreams right now too. Stand up. If you need prayer for your dream. Stand up. Holy Spirit in the name of Jesus Christ. I pray right now Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. That you would begin to restore dreams, revive dreams, rebuild dreams. Let people dream again this morning. Dreams that have been stolen, dreams that have been crushed. Right now, Holy Spirit, infuse them with a new dream. Directly from heaven for their life. The purpose that you have created them for. Let them dream again. For those people that are living right now, and they put their dreams in boxes. They've limited their dreams. Right now, remove all limitations. Remove all barriers. Take that dream out of the box. Let it become bigger and better than anything they ever thought imaginable or possible for their life. Because that's who you are. For those right now that have a dream but it's not dedicated for kingdom purposes, right now, God, we surrender our dream for kingdom purposes. And Lord, for those that have a dream but they've just not been willing to pay the price, right now, God, we lay it down. We surrender. We give you our entire life. We are willing to pay any price to accomplish the dream you've given us. We're willing to lay down our entire life for the dream, God. To not hold anything back. We love you. We praise you. God, you are awesome. Let's just close this morning with a song. Everyone stand up with us as we close. Coming tell you, God's doing big things in the dreams of this church and the dreams of your hearts, the dreams of you individually, and the dreams of your families and your marriages. It's going to be exciting to watch the next few months and few years to see the fruit of what God's doing right now and cultivating the dreams inside of you. Thank you for being here this morning. There's no greater place to be than the house of God. We love the house of God. Come back next week. Thank you for allowing me to be here. It's a great honor. I'm very humbled for this incredible privilege. We love you. Be back next week. It's going to be an incredible Sunday. You are dismissed.